section fifteen of the end of the middle age twelve seventy three to fourteen fifty three by eleanor constance lodge this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eight empire and papacy fourteen fourteen to fourteen fifty three part one the little town of constance saw many a strange and impressive sight toward the close of the year fourteen fourteen ever since june preparations had been in progress for the reception of the greatest council the middle ages had ever known fourteen fourteen through fourteen eighteen toward the close of the year princes and prelates nobles and merchants with a mass of lesser people of all nations and all professions flocked into the place the hill roads shone with many-coloured processions and the lake was gay with boats conveying great men and their followers not only those taking part in affairs came to the council constance became the scene of an ecclesiastical conference a political congress and a great world fair amusements of all sorts were held in the streets festivities tournaments and banquets lightened the graver business of the meeting and an idle multitude found in it an occasion for diversion and money-making the council was a great epoch in the history of the church meetings had often been held before this to treat of ecclesiastical matters popes had summoned prelates to advise and consult at pisa cardinals had met to discuss the claims of rival pontiffs but constance was something more than these a general council was now asserting power to settle the claims of three rival popes without adhering to the side of any it was declaring itself superior to the papacy and was taking into its own hands the reform of the church three great questions were before this vast assemblage first and foremost there was the settlement of the papal schism for unity must be restored in divided christendom secondly the whole church the papacy itself the lives of the clergy the discipline of the monasteries all were in need of the most stringent reform and finally the new doctrines which were disturbing the minds of men of which the chief teacher was john huss disciple of the english wycliffe must be rooted out and all heretical ideas suppressed once and for ever such a programme accompanied as it was by many points of minor importance would provide work for several years to come among the great processions which were welcomed to constance three above all others excited universal interest toward the close of october came pope john the twenty third making his way through the snow surrounded by his cardinals and protected by frederick of Habsburg the greatest prince and landowner in that region on christmas day the emperor sigismund arrived travelling before daybreak that he might be in time for the solemn mass at which he himself read the gospel beginning with the appropriate words there went out a decree from caesar augustus the sermon delivered on this occasion by peter d'ailly must have been uncomfortable hearing for the proud pope john who was still hoping to maintain his position the text taken was there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars the sun said the preacher represented the pope the moon the emperor 
and the stars the cardinals but unjust ambitions evil deeds and negligent rule would make but a phantom of the sun and again the holy trinity of the divine person is not more adorable than a trinity of popes is abominable and he also stated in clear words that the council's power was superior to that of the pope between these two arrivals a much more humble procession found its way into the town which nevertheless met with almost as hearty a reception for crowds flocked in to meet the thin bearded man in his simple black robes who was escorted by three bohemian nobles responsible for his safety john huss under a promise of safety from the emperor had come to constance to maintain his views before the assembly of christendom and to clear himself from the charge of heresy his safe conduct was of little avail for shortly after his arrival he was taken from his house despite the vehement protestations of one of the attendant nobles and after a questioning before pope and cardinals flung into a loathsome prison which nearly caused his death and it was only to save him for further humiliation that the conditions of his captivity were lightened for the time meanwhile the position of pope john was far from reassuring although still nominally the head of the council a murmur ever growing more and more insistent was making itself heard in favour of his abdication cardinal d'ailly went so far as to declare that the council had full power to force him to resign then followed an appalling statement probably all too true of the many misdeeds of the pope whose life had been notoriously wicked fearful lest this private accusation should be published to the world john consented to abdicate and in clear terms and with a calm demeanour he himself read before the emperor and assembled cardinals a promise to resign his power on the day that benedict the thirteenth and gregory the twelfth should do the same there was general rejoicing sigismund impulsive and theatrical threw himself uncrowned at the feet of the pope and kissed them gratefully a proposal for the election of a successor followed at once doubtless john hoped to obtain his own re-election but his character was too well known for that the english representative at the council robert hallam bishop of salisbury exclaimed that the pope deserved to be burnt at the stake hopeless of swaying the council john determined to leave constance and see what could be done elsewhere a request to leave on account of his health having been refused he contrived his own escape the opportunity came when a great tournament was being held to which all the inhabitants of the town flocked leaving the streets deserted the pope in the humble disguise of a groom rode out of the town unnoticed and taking boat on the rhine reached schaffhausen the castle of his friend frederick of austria who had been privy to his flight terror and disorder were left behind him some thought that the council was thereby dissolved many feared the curse which he might lay upon the city but others were ready to take advantage of the occasion the emperor denounced the austrian duke as a traitor and gershon councillor of the assembly proclaimed the council to be the supreme and independent authority of christendom a short while after the formal deposition of john the twenty third fourteen fifteen was pronounced by the council 
and the once powerful pope after vain attempts to evade his pursuers was captured and imprisoned first at gottleben just outside constance and finally in the castle of heidelberg when fully humiliated and no longer dangerous he was released and made a cardinal but his death followed immediately after meanwhile john huss had been awaiting his trial also a prisoner at gottleben for some time past bohemia had been the centre of new ideas the whole authority of the church had been shaken by the dissensions in the papacy and the impossibility of respecting the head of the spiritual world whilst all through the church had spread the disastrous effects of weakness at the centre abuses of all sorts were common the clergy were rich and neglected their duty they held so many posts that they could not possibly fill them all satisfactorily people and parishes were neglected and suffering in england during the previous century john wycliffe had boldly denounced the sins of the church had struck at the whole system of ecclesiastical government declared that the authority of the pope was not only excessive but unnecessary and attacked some of the doctrines of the church especially transubstantiation and prayers to saints the writings of wycliffe introduced into bohemia had great influence and were eagerly studied at the university of prague where huss had done much to make them known in some matters huss did not go as far as the english teacher particularly in the question of transubstantiation but he also urged reformation of abuses and superstitions and especially denounced the sale of indulgences commanded by the pope he also wrote that christ himself was the head of the church and the scriptures the basis of belief there was plenty of material here for a condemnation and from the first despite sigismund's worthless safe conduct his fate was already decided nevertheless his trial dragged on for many a long day and huss promised to withdraw his own opinions should the cardinals be able to disprove them but in total absence of proof he held his own without a waver and refused firmly though modestly to condemn wycliffe's teaching or to disown his own writings even here huss was not without supporters his friend and disciple jerome of prague followed him to constance only to be flung into prison on one occasion john of clum a bohemian noble boldly proclaimed in my castle i would have defended him for a year against all the forces of emperor or king how much more lords mightier than i with castles far more impregnable sigismund basely deserted him perhaps it was a hard choice between giving up the man he had promised to protect and seeing the council which he had done so much to collect and from which he hoped such great things fall to pieces its work half done in any case his conduct was despicable even in his own eyes and when huss said freely i came hither under the safe conduct of the emperor sigismund is said to have blushed deeply his attitude was now however decided enough declaring that he had only promised to protect him so that he might answer his enemy's charges and that he could not defend a heretic he went on to say far from defending you in your errors and in your contumacy i will be the first to light the fire with my own hands on another occasion the emperor urged 
that not only Hus but all his followers should be condemned, and the whole sect exterminated root and branch. On the 6th of July, 1415, sentence was finally pronounced in the Cathedral of Constance. Sigismund sat on the throne with princes and cardinals round him, and the proceedings opened with mass, during which Hus as a heretic stood in the porch then followed the reading and condemnation of certain articles said to contain the doctrines of wycliffe and huss in vain he endeavoured to protest that some of the accusations were totally false after that came the degradation one by one his priestly robes were taken from him and his tonsure obliterated whilst on his head was placed a tall cap of paper covered with painted devils judgment was then pronounced the church has no more to do with you we deliver your body to the secular arm your soul to the devils in hell the secular judge pronounced the final sentence of death by burning as a heretic and huss went calm and unmoved singing and praying to his doom sixth of july fourteen fifteen we know not said those who stood near what this man may have done we only know that his prayers to god are excellent his ashes were flung into the lake and his clothes destroyed that no relics might be treasured up by his sorrowing disciples but the uselessness of such measures to efface his influence was soon to be shown the martyrdom of huss was followed by that of jerome of prague who as we have seen had followed his master to constance and to captivity he was treated with so much cruelty in his prison that in sheer bodily weakness he gave way at his first examination and denied the doctrines of wycliffe and huss soon however he regained his strength and with admirable courage deliberately destroyed all hope of escape he proclaimed his faith with an eloquence and shrewdness and a clear-headedness perfectly marvellous after a year passed in severe confinement there was to be no doubt now as to his attitude this sinful retractation i now fully retract and i am resolved to maintain the tenets of wycliffe and of john huss to death believing them to be the true and pure doctrine of the gospel even as their lives were blameless and holy like huss he went calmly to the stake fourteen sixteen and when the executioner turned to light the heaped-up pile at his back he called to him kindle it before my eyes had i feared your fire i should never have come to this place he sang hymns with a steady voice until the flames leaped up around him much still remained for the council to do the papal question was not yet solved john was deposed gregory the twelfth had submitted and died benedict still remained obstinate he refused to come in person to defend his claims before the council unless he should be received as pope he declared that any acts of reform decreed at constance should be null and void and disregarding his formal deposition he established himself in peniscula in spain and kept up a shadowy court and an imaginary authority until his death some years later meanwhile the church and the council badly needed a head although sigismund would gladly have carried all through on his sole authority but the cardinals insisted and after some disputes a new pope martin v fourteen eighteen to fourteen twenty five was chosen from the important roman family of the colonna 
thus ended the schism and a temporary reaction in favour of church authority and papal power began for the council had chosen a man who would never submit to control and who meant to make his position one of real weight and importance as milman says in creating a pope of high character it had given itself a master it might dictate to a john the twenty third it must submit to a martin v the council of constance had achieved little of its great designs there were many reasons for this failure one great difficulty in the way of reform had been the danger of making any changes whilst the church was still without a head the great strength of the papacy lay in its continuity there had been an unbroken line of popes claiming to be successors of st peter according to tradition the first bishop of rome the moderate party hesitated to take any steps which might weaken this claim and so endanger the longed-for unity of the church another obstacle to counsellor action was the difficulty of finding any policy to suit the different nations whose interests were involved political questions were inevitably bound up with religious and the representatives of the various states could not agree on a common scheme of reform the efforts of the council had for the time brought peace to the church but only by the re-establishment of papal despotism the new pope was not a really great personality he did not seize the unrivalled opportunity for placing himself at the head of a church reformed united and spiritualized nevertheless he was a wise level-headed statesman he knew how to recover much of the papal authority lost in previous years and to obtain control over the national churches which had been struggling toward independence his period of rule was largely occupied with re-establishing himself in italy which was a scene of the wildest confusion the duke of milan was warring in lombardy in naples under joanna the second the question of succession was giving rise to endless struggle condottieri generals were fighting for one side or the other and also for themselves braccio and sforza being the most important the pope had a conference with braccio at florence and it was there that he was rendered furious by the popular feeling which expressed itself in a common street song braccio the great conquers every state poor pope martin is not worth a farthing the despised pope however soon made himself respected he re-established himself in rome and restored order in the turbulent city he recovered the states of the church and made his power felt in outlying countries even in england where he appointed cardinal beaufort his legate and exercised more authority than any pope had done since innocent the third at home his chief efforts were directed toward reforming the body of cardinals and reducing their power and in this he had some success but there were disorders in christendom especially the hussite war in bohemia which remained a dangerous problem and martin summoned a council to meet at basel to consider this and other questions his death however prevented his participation in this great assembly and his successor eugenius the fourth was left to cope with the difficulties of the situation fourteen thirty one to fourteen forty seven the emperor sigismund had not been quietly residing at constance during the whole long period of the council his restless spirit desired fresh fields in which to expend his energy and when benedict the thirteenth proved too obstinate 
and was supported by the states of spain and portugal sigismund set out to try the effects of imperial authority on these opponents of unity always short of money the emperor sold brandenburg to frederick the first of the famous hohenzollern margraves confirmed swiss conquests in return for supplies and set out for spain where after long negotiations he did succeed in procuring the submission of aragon castile and navarre followed shortly after by that of portugal which completed the union of the west his return journey took him through france where he hoped to pose as mediator in the great quarrel with england which had just come to a head in the battle of agincourt while in paris he was led to a display of authority which infuriated the french and forms a good illustration of his views as to imperial supremacy invited as an honoured guest to watch proceedings in the parliament of paris the great french law court a case came up in which one party was unable to be heard because unequal in rank to his adversary sigismund at once knighted the petitioner as though he were the sovereign and overlord of the country france was indignant but england to which the emperor next proceeded took steps to prevent such an exercise of sovereign rights showing that any claims of imperial overlordship were totally out of date by this time if indeed the english would ever have admitted them before sigismund might put foot on english soil humphrey of gloucester younger brother of the king rode into the sea sword in hand and demanded a promise that he would perform no act of sovereignty whilst in the kingdom the promise given the guest was received with the greatest pomp and ceremony magnificently lodged in the palace of westminster and only departed after a six months visit and amidst signs of the greatest affection from henry v but although it is said that the two monarchs could scarcely tear themselves from each other's arms when farewell was said the english king had not ceased his preparations for the french war and the emperor did not succeed in effecting the peace of christendom at home once more sigismund found himself surrounded by difficulties the very extent of his territories meant numerous enemies and want of money was a constant drawback the story goes that on one occasion he left his dirty linen in pledge being totally unable to pay the bill for his night's lodging his were not qualities such as fitted him for a position of such danger in which tact as well as strength was necessary sigismund was in many ways a very attractive personality tall and handsome with fair hair and blue eyes he was extremely well educated and could discourse easily in czech latin german french and italian although he never forgot his imperial dignity he knew how to be familiar and courteous was a very good talker and prompted repartee unfortunately he had external qualities rather than solid virtues he was lacking in real strength and perseverance and above all in stability his word could not be trusted and little respect could be accorded to a man who could forget his promises and break his alliances he would have made a very good show-king but he lived at a time when burning questions needed solution and when ceremonies and ambitious projects could not take the place of steady purpose and real hard work the greatest danger left by the council to sigismund and germany was the hussite war fourteen nineteen to fourteen thirty one the martyrdom of huss and jerome had inflamed not discouraged the reforming party in bohemia and in fourteen nineteen open warfare broke out in prague 
one of the demands of the bohemian reformers was the administration of the communion in both kinds from which they obtained the name of utraquists the beginnings of revolt were caused when a procession headed by a priest bearing the chalice had stones flung at it from a window of the town hall whither the utraquists had repaired to demand the release of some of their numbers the cup was knocked from the priest's hands and the mob roused to sudden fury poured into the house slew the burgomaster and flung all the magistrates from the window on to the weapons of those below the news of this disturbance was too much for king wenzel weakened as he was by a life of self-indulgence he was struck with apoplexy and died on the spot with a great shout and roar as of a lion fourteen nineteen end of section fifteen